Our scripture this morning is from Psalm 130, if you will turn there in your Bibles with me. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. After the first service, I received a compliment. Somebody mistook me for being 10 years younger than I am. I thought there's a joke there to be made about John. I'm going to be the bigger man and not make it. So if you will please open your Bibles to Psalm 130. And as you're turning there, I want you to picture the Apostle Peter. It's the night after the crucifixion. In the past 24 hours, Jesus has washed his feet. Peter has taken his last meal with Jesus. The meal in which Jesus told him that his blood would be shed for him, that his body would be broken for him. And Peter's promised Jesus that he would never forsake him, that he would never leave him. And then Peter falls asleep in the garden when Jesus asks him to pray. Peter flees when Jesus is arrested. And then Peter not once, but three times, denies Jesus. And finally, the man that he's followed for three years, that he left everything for, that he devoted his life to, has been hung on a cross. Now picture Peter. He has no concept of the resurrection. So he has no expectation that Jesus is going to rise from the grave three days later. He has no idea there's going to be a time when he can ask for forgiveness, when he can apologize to his friend for his betrayal. Peter's without hope in the darkness of death. In his mind, there's no hope for the dawn. He's left in the dark, alone, despairing of his sin. And I hope you can see him. You can feel his anguish. And now I want us all to think of a time in our own life when we felt the same, when we felt darkness and despair as a result of our actions, and when there's no hope on the horizon. Picture that. Feel the weight of that darkness and that hopelessness of that time in your life. Now what we're going to see this morning is that in the midst of that darkness, the darkness that envelops us with guilt, 
and shame. That we cry out to the Lord and we wait. But unlike Peter when he was in that darkness, we wait with hope. We wait with anticipation because we know that the dawn has come and that we do not have to live in the darkness. Psalm 130 this morning is going to show us this hope. First, through a picture of the psalmist's darkness. Second, through a statement of the truth that our God forgives. Third, with another picture of what it looks like for us to wait with hope and anticipation. And finally, with a word of encouragement for God's people. Look with me again at the first two verses of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Here, Thomas gives us a picture of his position, of where he is. He is in the depths. He's in the darkness. He's unable to see the way forward. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances and his surroundings. Psalm 69 verses 1 through 3 gives us a more descriptive picture of this location. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. This is an apt description of the darkness of the depths. A place where none of us want to be, yet a place where we have all been. Some of us are in it now. Some of us have just come out of it, and some of us will be there soon. A place of fear and despair and loneliness and guilt and shame. Being alone in the dark is a terrible place to be. And when we find ourselves in this darkness, we're faced with the question, how did we get here? And there are several options. It could be our sin. It could be a disease or sickness. It could be our circumstances. It could be despair in the state of the world around us. But in this psalm, as we're going to see in verses 3 and 4, the psalmist is in the depths because of his sin. And so this morning, to understand and appreciate this psalm, we each have to ask ourselves, when, if ever, have we experienced despair? Have we experienced the darkness because of our own sin? Now, I asked you when we started to think about Peter and to think of a time in our lives when we felt that darkness because of our actions. And so did we picture a time when we continually struggled with our habitual sins? Gossip, envy, slander, drunkenness, pornography. Do our struggles with these sins and the way we continue to return to them again and again and again, does that place us in despair? Is it a struggle with a past sin and its results? A broken relationship from words we have said? A wayward child that we blame on our own failures as a parent? Sexual sin? Do we despair because we live with the guilt and the shame and the consequences of those past actions? Or does the sin of the world around us cause us to despair? And if we truly take the time to look close enough, we see our own sin in the darkness of the world. Our treating as enemies those who are not. 
our failure to love these perceived enemies, much less our actual enemies, our desire to always be right, our unwillingness to stop speaking and truly listen, our refusal in the midst of the darkness to be still and to know that He is God and to trust Him, and to respond to the darkness of this world with love and humility and grace instead of with fear, anger, resentment, revenge, and judgment. If we think about our role in contributing to the darkness of this world, does this drive us to despair? The cause of our darkness is different for each of us, but we've all experienced it. That feeling of the weight of our sin crushing us and driving us to despair. And when it does, where do we go? When we're in the depths, experiencing the darkness, where do we turn? Do we turn to despair? To give up and live as those with no hope? Do we turn to blame? To place the fault on another, whether it be God or someone else in our life? Anything to accept responsibility for our own actions? Do we turn to self-help? We try to fix the problem through our own efforts, looking to the ways and the wisdom of this world. Or do we simply cry out for help? And as we see here in verses 1 and 2, that the psalmist chooses the last response. He cries out for mercy. See the words he uses. Cry. Hear my voice. Be attentive. My pleas. He cries out to the one he knows he can help. That can help him. The Lord. Yahweh. The creator and sustainer of all things. And he doesn't cry out with some specific request. He doesn't go to God with a list of demands to make his situation perfect. No. What does it say? Voice of my pleas for mercy. He simply cries out for mercy in the depths of his despair. And what is this mercy? There's two definitions. Mercy can be a compassion or forbearance shown to an offender. So when a judge is sitting in court, someone that's been found guilty, and the judge shows mercy in the sentence. Or a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. And both are in view here. The psalmist does not only want to escape punishment for his sins, but he also wants God to intervene on his behalf. And so the picture the psalmist gives us is that when we are in the depth because of our sin, we have only one option, to cry out for mercy. So when we're struggling with our habitual sins that we cannot conquer in our own strength, when we're at a loss over a relationship that has been broken because of words that we have said, when we see our child going astray and cannot stop looking at our own failures as a parent and we're in the darkness, what do we do? We cry out for mercy. So in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist has given us a vivid picture of the darkness and despair of his condition. And then in verses 3 through 4, he gives us a statement of truth, a profession of faith even, that God forgives His people's sins. Look back at verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. In the midst of his cry for mercy, the psalmist recognizes that he has no right to be heard. He has no right to stand in the presence of God and cry out. He has no hope apart from God's gracious character. 
We see now that the psalmist is in the depths as a result of his own sin. We don't get any details. We don't know what he did. We don't know what the consequences of it were. But we see that his guilt is crushing him. And in the midst of his cry to God, he recognizes that because of his sin, he has no right to ask for help. And how many of us have felt or feel this way? That our guilt is too great. That the Lord will not hear us. In the midst of our struggles with whatever our sin is, pornography, drunkenness, in the face of our child ignoring us at every turn, we doubt our God, and so we dare not approach. We stay back, and we try to do things on our own. We dare not confess our sins to those that God has placed in our life so they can intercede on our behalf, so they can assure us of the forgiveness that God offers because we fear that they will only condemn us. So we go back to our idols and the ways of this world because we know they won't point out our culpability. They will accept us. They will. And then they'll condemn us back to the depths. Without God's promise of forgiveness, we have no hope. And we're left in our guilt and in our shame. But what does the psalmist know? What does he tell us here? That our God does forgive. Even though we have all sinned and our sin has brought ruin and calamity and we return to our sin again and again, we draw near to our God and we can cry out for mercy. And He hears us. He forgives us. He draws us out of the depths. When we're in the darkness, we hear Satan. You're filthy. No one will ever love you. No one can forgive you. You're pathetic. I can't believe you did that thing again and again and again. That's what we hear in the darkness. But if we listen closely, we hear the words of Jesus. I forgive you. Enter into my presence. Take and eat my body given for you. Drink the cup of my blood shed for you. I love you. The psalmist knows this, which is what verse 4 tells us, that our God is a God who forgives. And when the psalmist says that with the Lord there is forgiveness, that He may be feared, he's speaking of repentance. When we are in the darkness and we cry out for mercy and believe that God will hear and forgive, then we long to be with that God and to follow Him and to walk in His ways. We long to be free from those habitual sins and from the guilt of the words we have spoken people we have hurt and his forgiveness leads us to or his yeah his forgiveness leads us to repentance and it frees us from our guilt and our shame think again of peter he's walking beside the lake after jesus has arisen and what does jesus do jesus comes to peter and he restores him he forgives him and he empowers him to take up his cross and to follow Him for the rest of His life. And God offers the same to us. He offers us forgiveness. Do we trust that? Do we trust that God forgives? Do we rest in the truth? And after receiving that forgiveness, will we repent so that we can stay in His presence and walk with Him? So the psalmist has shown us a picture of his darkness. And He's given us this truth that God forgives. 
now in verses 5 through 6, he gives us a new picture, a picture of hope. Look at these words. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The psalmist has demonstrated three truths to this point. That our sin brings us to despair, that our only hope is to turn to God, and that our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who forgives. But what Even if we know these truths, our circumstances haven't changed. We're still living with the consequences of our sin. We're still experiencing guilt and shame. We still cannot see the light. We cannot see how our circumstances are going to get better. We can't see how our rescue will come. So what do we do? Do we turn back to despair? Thank you, God, for your forgiveness, but nothing has changed, so what's the point? Do we turn back to blame? I know God forgives, but you know, it's not really my fault. It's still God's fault for allowing that. It was still the other person's fault for the things that they said made me respond in kind. Turn back to self-help. Okay, now that I've got my forgiveness, let me fix this with my wisdom. Are these responses sufficient? Will these responses bring us out of the darkness? No. They'll only lead us farther down. We see the appropriate response here in verse 5. We wait. Michael Nolting's looking at me back there like, what? Really? That's it. That's the response. We wait. We wait for the Lord to act. To give us the strength to resist the temptations of our habitual sins. To restore our relationship with Him and with others. And we long for Him. Not simply for an escape from our punishment or for our circumstances. No, our souls, everything in our being, longs to be with this God who forgives us and who will rescue us. And we do not wait without hope. We wait with hope and anticipation. Hope in His Word. And this is not a fool's hope. This is not living life on a hope and a prayer, as if those were small and trite things. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. What is this Word? It is nothing less than the promises of God. The promise He has made to show up and to act, to forgive His people's sins, to release us from our addictions, to restore our relationships, to save our children, to bring peace and justice to this world so that we have no enemies to fear, to conquer death and the devil, to wipe away every tear from every eye, and to dwell in our midst and be our light. God has promised us these things. In spite of our sin and in spite of the sins of this world, in spite of the darkness we can't seem to escape, God has made promises to His people. And God always keeps His promises. So in the midst of our darkness, we cry out and we wait. And we don't know how long we will wait. Sometimes God moves to dispel the darkness quickly. But sometimes He doesn't. Either way, as His people, we wait in hope. And we trust in the promise of Romans 8.28 that for those who love God, all things work together for good, even though we don't understand. 
even though we might not ever understand. We do not despair. We do not give up. We do not turn away. For where else would we go? Remember the story in John 6. Jesus is with His disciples. And things have begun to get tough. And Jesus is facing a lot of opposition. And so what do some of His disciples do? We can relate to this. They just leave. Enough of this. This is not what I signed up for. This was not the bargain. And so Jesus turns and He looks at the twelve. And He asks, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. So in the midst of our darkness, we long for His presence and we wait. We wait with hope and anticipation, with the hope that our God is alive and that He is a God who saves. And the psalmist paints a picture here of what that waiting looks like in verse 6. I love these words. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. The hope of dawn. Right In ancient Jerusalem, in all ancient cities, a watch would be set at night to alert the city of any threats. Imagine waiting in that darkness. Right? A moonless, light, a moonless night with no electricity, clouds covering the sky. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You're jumping at every noise. You're falling asleep as you sit there. And it's your job to be alert and to wait all night in the darkness, in the silence. What a joy the first light of dawn would bring. An end to the watch. An end to the fears that come with the deepest dark of the night. And the hope of a new day with its surprising surprises and its tidings of good news. The hope of a new day is a common one in literature. If Russ were listening out in the narthex, he'd be rolling his eyes right now because this is where I'm going for an illustration. Um, for you old Miss grads, literature is about books, um, writing. And I was going to use a sports illustration, you know, what? But I didn't. One, because I'm just kind of sick of sports illustrations. And, and two, because we're a church full of Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and UT fans, and so a story about hope is hard to come by. Um, I say this as a Cubs fan, so I understand. So literature it is. All right? And this is a book probably like three of you have read, but it's my favorite book of all time. The Lord of the Rings. Some of you have seen the movies, and shame on you. Um, okay? And I can tell you why the books are much better if you want to talk about it afterwards. But in these books, it's about good and evil, light and dark. You know, so there's an epic battle in the second book. And this battle's happening at night. There's a storm. Of course, it's raining. The battle's going all night long. Okay, And it's not going good for the good guys. It looks like there's no chance of winning. It's like 10,000 against 300 or something. I mean, just, you know... It's not going well. And it's raging throughout the night. And at one point, one of the protagonists of the book, that means main character, um, Aragorn says, This is a night as long as years. How long will the day tarry? 
And his companion that's standing there beside him replies, Dawn is not far off, but dawn will not help us, I fear. And to this statement, Aragorn replies, Yet dawn is ever the hope of men. None knows what the new day will bring. And that's the hope of the dawn. The hope of first light. Of light in the darkness. Right? This is the hope that Jeremiah expresses in Lamentations 3 as he sits in the ruins of Jerusalem after the nation of Babylon had just wiped it out. It destroyed the wall. It destroyed the temple. It carried away God's people. And Jeremiah sits in the ruins. And he says the very words we sing this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This was a hope that Jeremiah had that were built on the promises that God had spoken through him before the destruction of the city. In Jeremiah 31 it says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. So Jeremiah knew in the midst of his darkness and despair that the Lord had promised he would forgive his people and that the Lord's promises were as sure as the rising sun. So we are not like Peter and the disciples as they waited in fear and without hope on that day before Easter. No, we wait with hope and anticipation because we know that the dawn has come. And now that the psalmist has come out of his despair by crying out to God, and he's, as he's waiting for the light of God's promises to dawn, he comes to the end. And he ends with an encouragement for God's people. Hope in the Lord. Look again at verses 7-8. through eight. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. In these verses, the psalmist tells us to hope because of who our God is and who He has shown Himself to be. He is a God of steadfast love and plentiful redemption that is committed to His people. A God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And this is the reason we can hope when the darkness of our sin crushes us. Because our God is a God of steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And then in verse 8, we hear the psalmist's final hope that God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist longs for God to once and for all forgive his people's sins like God promised. And so he waits with hopeful anticipation for this final forgiveness. He knows that God will do it, but he doesn't know how and he doesn't know when. But we do. And here on the other side of the cross, we do not await the redemption of our sins. For as Paul tells us, there is therefore now, right now, today as we sit here, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as the author of Hebrew tells us, 
when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. And as the words of the hymn we sing earlier remind us, it was my sin that held Him new until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And then these words of Paul in the second chapter of Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Hear it. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, unlike the psalmist, we do not wait for God to redeem His people from their iniquities. Christ accomplished that on the cross. Now we wait for our blessed hope when Jesus will return and will remove the darkness and despair of our sin, when He will free us completely from our sinful desires and will restore our broken relationships. So Christ Presbyterian, this church this morning, in the midst of your despair, in the darkness of your night, have hope. When it seems the storm will never pass and there's nothing you can do to stop it, have hope. Why? Because you're right. There is nothing you can do to stop the darkness. You cannot restore your broken relationships. You cannot bring back your prodigal child. You cannot conquer your own sins. But you believe in a God who can and who will. When we are in the darkness, as we cry out and as we wait, let us wait with hope for the dawn, knowing that Jesus is life, and the life is the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.